Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me begin by telling you a story about a pastor, a true story. Uh, this, uh, well, first of all, funerals have two parts. Usually the uh, pastor officiates at the church or at the mortuary, and then there's a, um, a car processional that goes to the cemetery for the, for the burial. Um, oftentimes the pastor will either ride in the hearse with the funeral party or will take his own car, and if he does that, it's typical that he would be the lead vehicle with uh, lights on and cars behind him. Well, a pastor did a funeral at the church, was on the way to the cemetery. He got in his car, started driving, turned on the radio, and he got lost in thought. He got preoccupied. He's driving down the street, goes by a Kmart, and remembers that he needs a few things in the store. So he pulls into the parking lot and circles a few times to find a parking space. And then he glances up into his rearview mirror and he sees a string of cars all with their lights on. Now, they had no idea why they were there. And truth be told, that pastor didn't really have a good idea what he was doing there either. Do you ever wonder what direction you're going in? Do you ever struggle with the will of God? Do you ever question the guidance of God? How do you know God's will? Can you expect that heaven will speak? That God will speak? I mean, a lot of people toss that term around a lot. God spoke to me. Imagine how that sounds to the uninitiated. They go, He did? What was that like? And how can we tell the difference between God's voice or our own guilt or our mother's tapes playing over and over again in our minds? How do we discover the will of God? Should we be like that frustrated but eager young girl who thought, all I have to do is close my eyes, open the Bible, land on a verse, and that's God's will for my life? Well, that can be really dangerous. I mean, imagine if you close your eyes and open and turn to Matthew 27, 5. And Judas went out and hung himself, the scripture says. Ooh, better find another one. You land on Luke 10, 37. Go do thou likewise. Not much better. I had a friend when I was a young Christian, and he tried to pull this off. It didn't last very long, but I remember he got in his car, he told me. And he drove down the street till he went to a stop sign. At the stop sign, he stopped, and he bowed his head, and he prayed, Lord, do you want me to turn right or left? And he'd wait. He'd wait for some impression. He'd go whatever direction he felt he ought to go, and then he'd go to the next stop sign. He, he worked his way for that day that way. Needless to say, he was a mental wreck. He was correct in realizing that God is interested in absolutely every minute detail of our lives, but he was wrong in thinking he needed a sign to pull that off. God does not play hide-and-seek. His will is not all that mysterious. I mean, if your hair needs washing, wash it. If the house needs painting, paint it. You don't have to say, Lord, is it your will? Just 
go. Now, Kent Hughes, a pastor from Wheaton, Illinois, said God's guidance is a multifaceted jewel. I agree with that. God's guidance is a multifaceted jewel. There's not one way God directs his children. God is creative and has a variety of ways. This morning in Acts chapter 16, the first 10 verses, we're going to land on three experiences that Paul's missionary team had. And these three experiences on this second mission trip will illustrate three different categories of God's guidance. Three different categories. And I'll tell you what they are. Natural guidance, negative guidance, and noticeable guidance. Natural guidance, negative guidance, and noticeable guidance. Let's look at our text. We'll read it through once and then we'll go back over it. Then he, Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So, passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now before we plunge into these three principles and these scriptures, let me just say, when it comes to the will, the guidance, the leading of God, you can relax a bit more. You see, God is big enough, powerful enough, and creative enough to make sure that you get from point A to point B. So it's not like God is up there white-knuckling it in heaven going, Oh, they missed the cue, man. They missed the sign. I mean, it's as simple, I believe, as this. In Psalm 37.5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will bring it to pass. That, coupled with a, another verse that I know you know well, out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. I can see you mouthing it with me so you know it. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. You know that one. That's God's guidance. Now would you agree with this that the Christian life ought to be the most exciting way to live on earth? Now think about this. Your destination is already secure. It's fixed. 
if you have entrusted your life to following Christ, where are you going to end up? When when this is all over, where are you going to be? You'll be in heaven. So your destination is already secure. Why not enjoy the ride? Okay, I know life has bumps and the road has curves and there are potholes. But I'll tell you what, the scenery is pretty great. And God promises to direct us all the way from earth to heaven. So uh, let me begin by saying, I think the will of God and the guidance of God is as simple as this. It's a combination between God's aptitude and man's attitude. God is able. God is powerful. He can do it. He will do it. That's his aptitude mixed with our attitude. We'll look at that today. Francois Fenelon, the French theologian, said it nicely. He said, The winds of God are always blowing, but we must hoist our sails. So the question for us this morning is, how do we do that? How do we hoist our sails? And so we look in Acts 16 at this missionary party. They hoisted their sails three different ways. First of all, by the retracing of their steps. Let's look at that in the first five verses. Now, this is natural guidance. Follow it with me. Then he, Paul, came to Derby and Lystra. You remember those two towns? That's where Paul, on the first trip, almost died. They tried to kill him there. But he's back. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So his mom was a Messianic believer, and he was as well. But his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him. No record that he waited for any special sign or any direction. He just saw this guy wanted to take him with him. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. We have a straightforward narrative in these verses. This is the second trip Paul is on. He finished his first one. This is probably five years after the fact. And the first two cities on the second trip were the last two cities on the first trip. So he's going back over the same territory, but in reverse. Goes to Lystra and Derby. While he's there, Paul is impressed with a young man by the name of Timothy. He's probably a teenager. Best guess, he's anywhere between 18 and 22 years of age. It would seem that Timothy and his mother were saved the first time Paul entered the region, about five years prior. Now, their names aren't given here. That is, the mom's name isn't. But over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the name of the mom and the grandmother are given. Eunice was his mom's name. Lois was his grandmother. Both of these women came to faith in Christ along with young Timothy about five years prior to this visit. Plenty of time for Timothy to grow in the faith. Paul sees him and he is impressed. Here's the question though. Maybe you caught this. Paul has Timothy circumcised. Now that, that, that's odd to us. We look at that and go, now wait a minute. 
Paul just fought a tremendous theological battle back in Acts chapter 15 over that issue, right? Remember the whole group that was saying, you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to even be saved. And Paul said, no, you don't. And he won the argument. So why is Paul having Timothy circumcised? It's not for salvation reasons. It's for opportunity reasons. Verse 2 tells us he did it because of the Jews that were in that area. Or a better translation, out of consideration for the Jews. You see, here you got a kid. You have this young man who's half Jewish and half Gentile. And wherever he would go, if Paul and the group wants to speak to Jews, they're going to automatically ask, well, wait a minute, his dad's a Greek. Are you sure this kid can even speak to us? Is he circumcised? So out of consideration, it's part of Paul's plan to the Jew, I became a Jew that I might win some. Again, it wasn't for salvation reasons. And, of course, you know, it was easy for Paul. It was hard for Timothy. He had to volunteer for that. But he was circumcised and the mission went on. And, and here is the beginning of a beautiful, and I would say very rare, friendship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy becomes very valuable to Paul. Paul will send him to Corinth, send him to Philippi, send him to Thessalonica. And, and there's a tender bond between the two. It's so tender that in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul will say of Timothy, He is my beloved son and faithful son in the faith. And to the Philippians, he says, I have no one else as like-minded as Timothy. Like-minded is a beautiful Greek word, isopsukos. We are equal-souled. We mesh. We track. We have the same heart. Here's a question for our purposes, though. How is God guiding them? Here, in what we just read. What is God saying to them? You know what the answer is? He's saying nothing new. There's nothing specifically that God is saying. In fact, now listen carefully. The team at this point is operating on previously given revelation. Right? Uh, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They're doing that. And more specifically, there was a mandate given in Acts 13. Remember it? It says, The Holy Spirit said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for a work that I've called them to do. And then they went out on that first trip. And it was very successful. So operating on previously given revelation, they're going over that same general vicinity based upon what Jesus said, go, and what the Holy Spirit said in Acts chapter 13. It's very natural. No new revelation. All right. Sometimes we read the Bible and we discover something about how God guides and how He speaks. Sometimes He does it very dramatically. Typically, that's what we would like for ourselves. You know, we'd like Red Seas to part. We'd like Mount Sinai to shake in our presence. And we can say, God just spoke. And sometimes God will dramatically do that. Other times, God will speak very quietly, silently. You remember Elijah on Mount Sinai? 
He thought that God's voice would be in the fire, but it wasn't in the fire. He thought God's voice would be in the wind, and it wasn't in the wind. He thought God's voice would be in the earthquake, and it wasn't. It was rather a still, small voice. So sometimes God will speak dramatically. Other times God will speak, but quietly. And still other times, God will lead and guide naturally through previously given revelation, our reading of the scriptures, as we sit down and we read them. Now, think about it. Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus morph in front of him. He heard God's voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. What a day that was for Peter. But you know how he writes about it later on? He says, yep, I was on that mountain. Yep, I saw what I saw and I heard God's voice. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, yeah, God can speak dramatically, but God can also just naturally speak as I read his word. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Now, the way I see it, we are very much in a position like Paul and his team. Because we operate off previously given revelation. Sometimes people will say, God never speaks to me. That's because you're waiting for a Cecil B. DeMille experience. Moses, that was God. When God has spoken, there's a lot God has spoken. Tim Stafford wrote very honestly about an episode in his young Christian walk. See if this mirrors your own experience at some point. He writes, One night I walked for miles asking God again and again to simply show himself to me. I shouted to heaven to shatter the silence. I didn't want to work up a feeling of God. I wanted God to break in on me. He did not. I heard no voice. I saw no lights in the sky. I went home and I went to bed. And I survived. And I did more than survive. I grew. But... I did not stop longing for God to be unquestionably real to me. There's the heart cry of a young man wanting desperately for God to speak and to guide, but growing through it to the point where he realizes, God can guide me naturally as I feed off of previously given revelation. Okay, that's, that's one step. Let's look at the next phase of this. And this is negative guidance now. We go now from the retracing of their steps to the resistance of their plans. Look at verse 6 and 7. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and this is an odd thing to hear and to read, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, you might think, well, Holy Spirit, what do you have against Asia? Don't you want them to hear the word? Yes, he does, just not right now. And after they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but, here it is again, the Spirit did not permit them. I read something, I don't exactly remember where I read it, but it so impacted me, it's just one little phrase that I said, i gotta, I got to remember that. The author said, God speaks to us 
through the regularity with which he disappoints our plans. Once again, God speaks to us through the regularity with which he disappoints our plans. Now you might be thinking, well, then God speaks a lot to me. Because I've been disappointed a lot of my life. I've made plans and they haven't happened. Well, think of what's happening here. Here's the picture. This team has just come from the east and they're, they're moving toward the west. They're going toward an area called the Dardanelles Straits, toward Europe. They go over a couple of towns that they had been in before. And at some point, we don't know exactly where, in their journey they stopped and they made a decision. Hey, let's go south. Let's go into Asia, not the continent of Asia, the ancient province of Asia, which is today modern-day southern Turkey. It's an area where Ephesus and Colossae and Sardis and other towns were located. So they decided, let's go south. They met with resistance. They couldn't go south. So they regrouped and decided, well, let's go north toward Bithynia. That's the southern shores of the Black Sea, where the ancient towns of Nicaea, Nicomedia lie. But once again, there's resistance. So they've come from the east, moving toward the west. They try to go south, can't go. Try to go north, can't go. Okay, pause the tape, not literally, just just in your mind. Pause the story. Paul had no idea... He was completely unaware, but he was about to, on the other end of this thing that he's going through, discover that this is the most important part of his entire ministry career. That God has a will to get the gospel into the very heart of the Roman Empire, cross the land bridge over into Europe and into Rome itself. If, if it just stays in Bithynia and in Asia Minor, the gospel could be confined to just some little Middle Eastern religion. It is crucial to get that message to the heart of the Roman Empire because it is from there that the entire world will hear. And by the way, that's the theme of the book of Acts, how the gospel message goes from Jerusalem to Rome. And so we're at a fork in the road here. Okay. Let's say, at this point you could meet Paul the Apostle. And you were to ask Paul this question, Paul, what is the will of God for your life? You know what you'd hear him say? He'd say, I have no idea. And you'd say, what? You're Paul the Apostle. You wrote a lot of books. You wrote some of the coolest verses ever on how to know the will of God. And you're telling me you don't know the will of God? And he would have to say, at this point today in my life, I don't know what God wants me to do. I mean, I thought I did. I tried to go south. He said no. I tried to go north. He said no. All I know, he would tell you, is God said no to me. He has closed a door. But now listen. God's no is just as important as God's go. There's a great verse of Scripture. Again, it's also in Psalm 37, but it's the 23rd verse. The psalmist said, The steps of a righteous man are directed or ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. 
It's a great promise, isn't it? Every step that a righteous man or woman takes seeking the Lord, God will direct. And it's true. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. But you know what else? The stops of a righteous man or woman are also ordered by the Lord. God's no is just as important as God's go. Now, let me throw something else into the mix here. As as I see it, Paul was a pretty strong-willed character. Would you agree? Uh, I don't know if I should use the word stubborn, but in some cases I think I would if I look at his life. But at least he was a strong-willed individual, sort of like the Ever-Ready Bunny, you know, just he goes and he goes and he goes. Very kosher, Ever-Ready Bunny. He's going in one direction to fulfill the will of God. And with strong-willed people... I think God has to use more stringent, severe methods to get their attention. Sometimes they don't listen to open doors as much as they would a closed door, a stop. And so God gives them that. Bob Pierce, the founder of Samaritan's Purse, said, God gently leads his children along. Me, he yanks. I think Paul could have written that. This is God yanking Paul. No, you can't go to Asia Minor. No, you can't go to Bithynia. Okay, here's another question. How did the Holy Spirit stop him? I mean, we read, we were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It's a word that means to prevent by word or act. Now, i got to say, we don't know. It's impossible to be sure because we're not told. But let me give you a few suggestions. Some believe that God removed the subjective peace that was in their hearts. You know, Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God will rule or guard your heart. And so maybe they just came to a place in the road, they go, man, I don't feel a peace about this. We're not going to go there. Now, I don't think that's the explanation. Others believe that there was some miraculous phenomenal sign from heaven, sort of like the Damascus Road where God spoke, don't go to Asia. Maybe. Others believe that the political authority in that region who had heard about Paul being there a few years before and the riots that broke out, they stopped in and said, you're not coming into our region. And the team read that as the Holy Spirit saying no. Still others believe that There were those Jewish radicals, the Judaizers, who were waiting in those areas to riot. And so Paul said, the Lord isn't in this. Now, there's another possibility. And if I were to pick any one of these, I would land on this last one. Most New Testament scholars believe that the way the Holy Spirit was forbidding them was through an illness. Some... Uh, brutal infirmity that Paul had. Now, we've already discussed this. We know that Paul had this recurrent physical malady. In fact, he said to the Galatians, the whole reason I stayed there and preached the gospel to you is because I was sick. I ended up there. Something else in the text. Look down at verse 10. There's a change that will help you understand something, perhaps. Now, after he, Paul, had seen the vision immediately... Now, notice this. We. What does that mean? Well, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Up to this point, he has been writing in the third person. They, him, he. Now he joins the party. 
He says, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, from this point on, Luke will write from the collective personal, we. Because Luke, who is a doctor, joins Paul's team. Why does Paul need a doctor? Well, maybe he's a good evangelist. Maybe he's a good historian, but also maybe to help out with Paul's physical malady. And it could be that as they tried to go south or north, they were forbidden by the Lord through, through this malady. Whichever it was, and we don't exactly know. But whatever it was, here's the most important part. Now listen up. Paul saw every negative experience, every disappointment as part of the providential will of God for his life. Boy, if we could get our hearts around that truth, it changes forever. Paul saw every negative thing that happened, even this no, every disappointment is somehow God is in this. Somehow all things work together for good to those that love God. He believed that so much that later on when he's put in another prison in Rome... In chains, he writes to the Philippian church and he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Wow. The people back in Philippi were saying, oh, Paul, he's in jail. This is horrible. Paul said, wait, wait, wait. It's great. Man, I'm able to preach to prison guards. I'd never have that opportunity unless I was chained to him. Gospel is getting furthered because I'm in prison here. Again, God speaks to us through the regularity with which He disappoints our plans. What I've always loved about Paul is that this man refused to live in the tormenting world of regret. He didn't play the what-if game. What if I'd have done this? What if I'd have done that? There's a creative author who's been around a while, Shel Silverstein. You may have, your kids probably read his books, or maybe you did as a child. He has a little piece called What If. It's very clever. He said, last night, while I lay thinking here, some what ifs crawled inside my ear and pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what if song. What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I'm dumb in school? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I just get sick and die? What if I flunk the test? What if green hair grows on my chest? The what if game. We've all played it. Paul refused to play that game. He could have. What if uh, things would be different? If I never would have chosen John Mark to be on the first trip? If I would have just gone a different route than this route? Or if I'd have chosen a different time? He didn't go there. He didn't go there. He saw every negative and every disappointment as part and parcel of God's will. You've heard the name Corrie Ten Boom. She spent a good portion of her early teenage life in a Nazi concentration camp. So when people like that tell me about disappointment, I listen. And she writes, When the train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off the train. You sit still. And you trust the engineer. And here's Paul. Natural guidance. Previously given revelation. Negative guidance. No. Closed door. No. Closed door. Which leads us to the third and final. This is noticeable guidance. 
And this is where there is a redirection in their mission. Look at verse 8, and we'll finish it off. So, passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this, will you agree, is noticeable guidance. A vision would be something that is noticeable. Now, in the Bible... There's a difference between a dream and a vision. A dream happens when you're asleep. A vision happens when you're awake. When you're asleep, you can have a dream generated by a number of reasons. Could be because God is speaking to you. Could be because you have a guilty conscience. Could be because you're dealing with issues that you didn't deal with while you're awake. It could be because you had a taco the night before. There's a lot of reasons you can have dreams. A vision is different. You're wide awake and you see that same kind of thing. So here's Paul awake at night and he sees in a vision a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. Now, who is this man from Macedonia? We don't know. It's funny how commentators like to take several pages to discuss what nobody knows. You know, some Sir William Ramsey said that it's Luke, the physician who may have been from Macedonia. Paul had met him in Troas and he was the guy in the vision saying, come over and help us. So he got up and he said, you wouldn't believe it. I saw you in a vision. Maybe. William Barclay believes it's Alexander the Great. He'd been long dead, but Alexander the Great was the archetype of the Macedonian Greco Empire whose vision was to join West and East and make them one world, which would appeal to Paul who wanted to bring all the world under Christ. But the point is, we don't know who it is. It's just a guy, a man, saying, come over and help us. But this is what I want you to look at. Verse 10, the word concluding. After all this happened, they got together concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now that word concluding is a Greek word, sumbabizo. I don't care if you ever remember that. But here's what it means. Sumbabizo means a coming together, a coalescing, or a knitting together. So these men, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke are convening, and they're putting two and two together. And it all comes together in their minds. What is the will of God? They think about the natural guidance. They've come from the east, come to the west. They think about the negative guidance. God closed the door south, God closed the doors north. They added up the noticeable guidance. Paul had a vision last night. And they added it all up, and it all came together in their minds, so they sumbambizo, they concluded, hey, God wants us to go to Macedonia. Now, don't skip this. This is important. When Paul got a vision, he didn't just run out. He met with his team. There was an accountability. There was a discussion. And there was a mutual agreement concerning what the will of God for that team was. And then they went out. So we have an interesting combination here between um, no and yes, a double guidance. God closes one door, but he immediately opens another door. He says no, but he says yes. On one hand, there's prohibition and restraint. On the other hand, there's permission and constraint. 
They can't go there, but they can go here. And I discovered that the way the Lord led Paul and this missionary team is not unlike other great mission teams. Did you know, and I discovered just this week, that um, David Livingstone, who went to Africa, didn't want to go to Africa. His heart was set on China. God said no. William Carey first tried to go to Polynesia in the South Seas before the Holy Spirit redirected him to India. Adoniram Johnson didn't go to Burma. He first went to India. He was kicked out of India by the British, and he ended up in Burma. And it happened to be a place of very fruitful service. So, could it be? Here's a suggestion. Perhaps. Could it be that God lets us face resistance... That leads to bewilderment and confusion because now we're really open at that point. You know, we, we get confused. Confusion isn't from God. I have to... Wait, 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 wait. Just relax a little bit. Could it be that God let all that resistance happen to get you to a place of confusion? So now you're wide open to anything He would speak to you. I think Paul would say, happened to me. I couldn't go there. I couldn't go there. So I ended up still, quiet, in Troas, and then being open to whatever God wanted, He opened that door wide to go to Macedonia. Now let me offer a word of caution here. Please don't try to see every circumstance in life as a sign from God. I've seen people get a little crazy in this area. Something happens, that's a sign. Really? Yeah, what happened? Well, my car ran out of gas. It's a sign. God wants me to get a new car. You really think so? Won't your new car run out of gas? Or, wow, I was driving down the road and this beautiful girl waved at me. I think it's a sign from God. I'm supposed to marry her. Yeah, or you're supposed to look at the road and watch where you're going. Or, well, last night I had a dream. I was in the White House. I'm going to run for president. You know, that, that may have been a taco you ate last night. <laughs> Don't read everything as some sign from God. There's a harbor in Italy that uh, you can only enter by boat through a very narrow channel. There's rocks and shoals on either side. And if you don't hit it just right, it'll hit you. You'll end up on the rocks. So the people of that area did something ingenious. They put three large lights on three huge poles situated in the harbor in such a way that when all three lights are lined up and become one light, you have a direct movement all the way into the harbor. If you line up two of them but one is off, you'll crash. But you line up all three beacons, straight shot. Now as I see it, we have three beacons. We have God's Word, Previously given revelation. That's his objective standard. Two, we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's his subjective witness in our hearts. Allowing or disallowing things. And third, we have circumstances. God's providential shifting of our lives. Line them all up. Now, we don't have time to go any further than this, but let me just leave you, in closing, with four quick bullet point principles that will help you the rest of your life in terms of guidance from God. Number one, operate naturally according to biblical principles. 
Operate naturally according to biblical principles. You don't have to worry and kvetch and should I go right or should I go left? Should I brush my hair or comb it today? Or what is just just live. Just trust. Just read your Bible. Just pray. Just counsel with other believers and move. Number two, evaluate any resistance. When there's a seemingly stop that happens, evaluate it. Is this the Holy Spirit stopping me? Or maybe this is the enemy trying to stop me. Now you may need help with that, some counsel with that. But evaluate resistance. You may never know why you can't go north or south. So ask. And keep asking. You know, don't you think it's better to ask the right way ten times than to go the wrong way once? G. Campbell Morgan said, It's better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without Him. Three. Elevate your disappointments. Now, especially listen to this part. When we get disappointed, we think it's some bad, evil attack. And, you know, it might be. But learn to see them a little differently. Elevate them, your disappointments. It could be that your disappointment is God's appointment. Disappointment can be His appointment. A difficulty can be a cleverly disguised opportunity. Learn to elevate that. And basically, you come to, Lord, look, I just want what you want. I surrender to you. This is where attitude is important. There's God's aptitude and my attitude. Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want. George Mueller said, 90% of life's difficulties are overcome when we're ready to do God's will, whatever it might be. Fourth and finally, appreciate God's variety. My friends, God has innumerable creative ways to direct your life. Please do not place your almighty God in a little box. A box of your previous experiences. A box of a formula. If I do A, B, C, D, this is all going to happen perfectly. God likes to break out of boxes. As I read it, Hebrews 1.1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God is a God of variety. And finally, it's not really a point attached to anything. Just, just enjoy the ride. You're on an adventure. The destination is secure. Look out the window a little bit. Yeah, but this is a bumpy part of the road. Yeah, but you may not see it again, so check it out. I offer you this illustration in closing. At first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of all the things I did wrong. He was out there sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. But later on, when I learned to trust, it seemed as though life was like a bicycle ride on a tandem bike. And God was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When he took the lead, it was all that I could do to hang on. He knew delightful paths up the mountains and through rocky places and at breakneck speeds. Even though it looked like madness, he just said, pedal. I was worried and anxious and I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. 
and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life, and I entered into his adventure. When I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. At first, I did not trust him in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it lean and take sharp corners and dodge large rocks and speed through scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful companion. And just when I'm sure I can't do any more, he smiles and just says, Pedal. Now, for some, it begins by laying your life down and coming to Christ. You'll never know any of this adventure of God's guidance unless you say, Lord, take my life. I surrender it to you. Some of you, your first step is to actually come to Jesus Christ. And to make a step and a decision to follow Him. And not follow your own way, but become born again. That's where it begins. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close this morning, we can't help but think that we're opening, not closing, we're opening to a whole new adventure. When we let You take control and direct us, through our natural reading of the Scriptures, through the negative experiences of a closed door, or through the noticeable experiences of a wonderful miracle. Father, I would finally pray for those here who heard the message but have never yet said yes to your control at all. They've never surrendered to Christ. They've never made a decision to follow you. I pray that would change right now. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.